So as you can tell, I have been busy, too busy to spend a lot of time writing. Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing, but I haven't been doing the writing uh, for the newsletter. And that's because I've been busy. It's going to be a lot easier and quicker to do a little podcast, I guess. I don't even know why they call it a podcast anymore. I mean, once upon a time, you put it on your on your iPod, I guess, was the reason why. But nobody has them anymore, except me. I still got the click wheel. All right, so uh, three things. Maybe with some subsections, I don't know. But it's driving me bananas to uh, listen to and read about this argument about CRT, critical race theory. Uh, the people, uh, I guess, on the right, and certainly libertarians and, and um, actually a decent number of, of liberals uh, who, who are in favor of free speech and against racism and things like that, are uh, talking about banning um, critical race theory in schools. And the other side says, like that. <laughs> they don't teach critical race theory in schools. It is taught in law schools. They're not teaching it, which begs the question, why do they care then? If it's going to be banned, if you're going to ban something that isn't happening, what's your issue with it? It's pure sophistry. It's a, an incredibly dishonest argument because it ignores the fact that, that critical theory in general, not just critical race theory, but critical theory in general, has left the classroom and left it decades ago. It's mainstream now. You can't have the term rape culture without critical theory. You can't have uh, me too, believe all women. You can't have that without critical theory. And... Uh, and I think they know that. I think they know that it's not limited to law school. And the, the fact that people make that argument says to me there is something really messed up about critical theory, which I already knew because I read the fantastic book, and I recommend you read it as well if you haven't, uh, Cynical Theories, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, which explains uh, the roots of uh, theory the postmodern roots of theory and how it went from uh, just race and expanded into everything uh, from uh, queer studies to uh, ideas about fatness, fat phobia, all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty fat phobic, right? I've been eating cottage cheese lately, a little bit of a diet. I'm fat phobic. I'm big on fat shaming too. I've got this this uh, spare tire around my midsection. And whenever I see myself in the mirror without a shirt on, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. And I think, shame on you. Why? Why can't you just stick to the cottage cheese and the, and the flaxseed milk and the, uh, the muesli and all that? Why can't you do that? Why can't you just do that, Ben Weasel? Uh, so what we, but on, uh, the people are saying, we should ban it, we should ban it. They're wrong. Ban critical race. Ban, uh, and they keep talking about it. The other side has already, the first thing out of their mouths was they're not even going to acknowledge what it is. 
You don't do that. What you do is you say, we ban, which is already banned, by the way, we ban discrimination. All discrimination, including that against white people, against straight people, uh, against people of any color, any race, any religion, any sexual identity, any gender, ban it all, which it, it theoretically already is. At least I see it on the, on the emails um, that I get from my kids' school, which I, get, I have three kids, so I get like you know three dozen emails a day. And at the bottom of all of them, it talks about how the school district doesn't discriminate based on, you know, and there's the list. Uh, so it's actually already in place. It's just a matter of enforcing uh, the rules. Somebody who talks about enforcing the rules, especially the gun laws, uh, rather than necessarily creating new ones or, or banning them as Ted Nugent. People either love Ted Nugent or they hate him. And it's easy to think that the people who love him are crazed right-wing lunatics and the people uh, who hate him are um, urban, uh, hipster, uh, vegan losers. And there's probably some truth to that. Uh, Ted is a, a great entertainer, fantastic entertainer, one of the best. And uh, in the course of entertaining, he says entertaining things that uh, piss people off, uh, which, you know, I mean, that's like my middle name, piss people off. It's a long one, family name, Bulgarian. But anyway, uh, so I don't know how it happened, but I ended up, you know, you used to go down the, the YouTube tunnel you start watching one YouTube video. Next thing you know, you've been sitting there for two hours, like watching the next one. Oh, there's an interesting one I see down here. And uh, so you start out watching a scene from, from Jerry, of Jerry Lewis and the Patsy, and, you know, the next thing you know, you're watching, like, William F. Buckley um, calling Gore Vidal a fruit or something. I don't know. And you don't even know how you got there. So I ended up seeing, all of a sudden... Ted Nugent's official, I guess, Facebook page or channel or whatever they call it, I'm seeing videos there. And I'm seeing another side of Ted Nugent. Yeah, I've been listening to Ted Nugent since the 70s. And I grew up on Ted Nugent. And I'm seeing another side of him. And he's having these conversations with people who are really on the opposite side of issues than he is, especially on things like guns and... and uh, and, you know, maybe hunting, meat eating, that kind of thing. But he's a really reasonable guy, you know, trying to, very earnest and trying to make his case, but also listening uh, to people. A long time ago, I ran across a Wikipedia page for a high school I had gone to for a semester before they asked me to leave. St. Viator in Arlington Heights, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. Uh, and of course, when I was there, I knew that Ted Nugent had, had gone to St. Viator in the 60s. Of course, I was, you know, I'm a little younger than Uncle Ted. I was uh, there in 82, I think. Uh, 82, I believe, and uh, maybe 83. Not good at math. Um, 
but anyway, so the first semester of my freshman year, I was there. Uh, they asked me to leave. But Ted was a, was a legend there. And of course, the, the, you know, the priests and the brothers and whatnot would, you know, oh, you know, Ted Nugent, nah, everybody hated him. You know, he was just, you know, like doing donuts in the parking lot in his car. You know, he had this long hair. And of course, we were, you know, we we're like, that's awesome. So just for the heck of it, I don't even know why I did it. I Google Ted Nugent, St. Viator. And the first thing that comes up is, let's see if I can find it. First thing that comes up is a talk page from Wikipedia. So this is where the people who have edited the Wikipedia page discuss this. And there's this you know, fairly long conversation about how Ted Nugent should not be... Um, not be listed as an alumnus of St. Viator High School because he didn't um, graduate. But there's no evidence that he didn't graduate. And it seems to be mainly one guy. Uh, there are some people who also comment and support this. But so there's this, this whole thing, which is, you know, as it goes down, it becomes completely clear um, what this is about, but, uh, I mean, this goes back to 2008. If Nugent is selected by Sarah Palin as her running mate in 2012, a nightmare scenario, but a possibility, good call there, genius, then this issue will be important. Really, the issue of, of Ted Nugent, whether he graduated high school or expelled, will be important. I don't, I don't think it's going to be important to anybody except the people who want to beat him over the head with it. And I, uh, I'm guessing that if you go back to his radio show, go back a week and you can find a million things that liberals can, can use to whip their base up about Ted Nugent. I don't know why anybody thought he was going to run for public office. But anyway, this issue will be important because like George Bush, parentheses, the worst president in American history, <laughs> Nugent acted very irresponsibly when young. Ooh, ooh no. We don't, we don't want a president who acted very irresponsibly when young, like Barack Obama, who was actually um, elected in 2012. The issue should be cleared up, or re-elected, I should say. The issue should be cleared up. I know for a fact that he did not graduate from St. Vitor. Of course, like everybody in the world who says, I know for a fact, he has nothing to back it up. I don't, and, and, you know, so he comments further down as well. I, I have no references for his being <laughs> expelled, really. And this is two years later. The dude's still on this. The first one that I read was from 2008. This is from May 5, 2010. Dude's still on this. I have no references for his being expelled, this guy says. And given that his mom was a power in Mount Prospect, no, she wasn't. This story was completely hushed up. Ooh, it must have been a real scandal. This is the 1967. This is the height of the hippie movement. Burning draft cards. All I, there was nothing to hush up if he was expelled. Nobody cared. The guy's acting like it was the 1920s, for God's sake. Pity, since he's a fascist thug. It just I don't know why, but that just got under my skin because. I guess I do know why it got under my skin because this all happened in 2008, 2008. Finally. 2014, six years, 
after this. Apparently, it was deleted from the page that he, so we took a fact, a fact that he was an alumnus of St. Viator High School, and apparently it was deleted from the page. It says, uh, somebody put a comment up, March 4, 2014, someone else should revise this. Edward G. Nilgis, that's the guy who's doing all the fascist thug stuff, has his years or facts wrong. I have the 1966-67 St. Viator yearbook, which came out in June 1967, and Ted's picture is in there as a graduating senior. Oh, my God, somebody finally shows up and actually has something to back up what they're saying. My photo is in there, he says, in the freshman class. It's possible Ted was expelled near the end of the year, and they forgot to exclude his pick, but he was long gone from high school by the fall of 67, so someone who knows should fix these facts. Yeah. I wonder if they did. I'm not going to go look right now. If somebody wants to and report back, go ahead. This is the age we're living in. Facts aren't facts. Facts are feelings. And, uh, and this goes back to CRT, or theory in general, critical theory in general. Uh, read up about it. Helen Pluckrose, James Lindsay, they wrote a book called Cynical Theories. Read up about it. This is, this is not something that is limited to law schools. This is mainstream thought. For, for a large part of the country, and uh, is the latest thing that's, that's um, causing divisions between us. Uh, the final thing I want to talk about, where am I at time-wise? Oh, I'm, I'm right near the end, so I'm going to talk about this really quickly, is it's been in the news a lot um, that, uh, that the uh, U.S. Catholic bishops... Um, are essentially trying to um, punish Joe Biden for his pro-choice stance, stance by denying him communion, the Eucharist, which in the Catholic Church is believed to be the literal body and blood of Christ. Uh, I just pulled up the first thing I could pull up that wasn't paywalled, which was an article from the New Yorker, um, The plan, so it says, the workings of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops have once again become headline news as the members, after airing sharp differences among themselves in an online meeting, approved a plan released last Friday to draft a quote-unquote teaching document about the role of the Eucharist and about their dealings with Catholic politicians who support abortion rights, in particular President Joe Biden. The plan raised the dramatic prospect that the nation's second Catholic president, a faithful Sunday churchgoer, would not be allowed to go to the front of the altar and receive the Eucharist, the act at the center of the Mass, which represents the believer's communion with Christ and the Church. No, it doesn't. First of all, that annoys me. It does not represent the believer's communion with Christ and the Church. It's the body and blood of Christ, according to Catholics. If you don't like the belief, or you think it's crazy, fair enough. But don't, don't characterize it that way. That's not accurate. Uh, secondly, the plan did not raise that quote-unquote, dramatic prospect, because it's been made abundantly clear that the, the issue of who is and isn't worthy to receive uh, communion is to be decided by the local bishop, and the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., where Biden goes to church, has already announced he is not going to deny Biden communion. So first of all, it's a complete non-story. This, ooh, this might happen. No, it might not happen. It's not going to happen. The archbishop has already said he's not going to deny him communion, period. So this is a non-story. 
number one. Number two, again, two par- third bar- paragraph in, the U.S. bishops' immediate, mo- immediate motive is clear. They want to send a message that to be a Catholic is to oppose legal abortion. Baloney. That is not their motive. I'm sure many of them do want to send a message that to be a Catholic is to oppose legal abortion. But that's not the purpose of the document. The purpose of the document is to clear up confusion because in the church, if you uh, are a sinner and you commit a mortal sin, you are not to go receive communion, right? You're to be in a state of grace when you receive the communion. I could go into details as to, as to the basis of that argument. I don't have time. You probably don't care. The point is, that's the rule of the church. You've got to be in a state of grace. But the church doesn't run around policing it, because that would be insane. So it's left up to the individual's conscience. If you have a mortal sin on your conscience, you should go to sacramental confession, receive absolution, then you can receive the sacrament. Okay? It's up to the individual to do that. If you have sinned and you don't go to confession and you go and receive the Eucharist, probably nobody's going to know it. But there's an exception to that rule. And that is if you are sinning publicly and continuously in a way that couldn't possibly be rectified by sacramental confession. Does that make sense to you? It's called scandal in the church. What it says is that if you are publicly sinning, like, say, supporting abortion rights, um, and you continually do this, it would be then impossible that you could go to confession every week, say, oh, yeah, I'm wrong about this, and then you turn around and go back and do it. I guess it would be possible, but the point is, because it's public, and because it doesn't seem very possible to most people, you're creating a scandal, which in in Catholic uh, vernacular, or parlance, if that's a word, it's probably not, or I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but that would mean that you are causing people to go, wait a second, I this isn't a sin, um, you're kind of muddying the issue. And that is the issue. It has to do with a lot more than Biden. Um, what it has to do with is that a lot of people in this country have been poorly catechized on the Eucharist. They, they don't understand the basic teachings about the Eucharist. They don't understand um, when they are or not supposed to receive uh, communion. And it's really only in North America, as far as I can tell, that people routinely just get up and receive communion in a Catholic church. In many other parts of the world, people will not do that. They go up when they're worthy, but if they're conscious of a mortal, conscious of a mortal sin, they don't go up. Um, and, and part of the problem with that in this country is that if you don't go up, then you kind of feel like everybody's looking at you. Like, oh boy, what'd this guy do? Right? So it kind of feeds on itself. That is the entire basis of the document. It's not about getting Joe Biden or sticking it to Joe Biden because we don't like Joe Biden. It's, it's about uh, the beginning, I hope, of a teaching on the Eucharist and, and catechizing the, the people who, uh, the faithful who don't understand. So, um, and I realize that that's, that doesn't make for a snappy headline in the New Yorker, but 
but it's again one of those things that drives me nuts because we just we don't care about facts anymore. We don't care about facts. Everything must be politicized. Whether it's a Wikipedia page about Ted Nugent, whether it's a a story about what the U.S. Uh, Catholic bishops are doing regarding um, uh, communion, we've got to politicize everything. Everything, and that leads back to guess what? Critical theory. See, it all comes together even when I digress. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to continue to do this podcast format or if I'm going to go back to writing. I'm just busy lately. But, uh, but until my next uh, communique in whichever form it arrives, I would remind you that I love you all very much. <laughs>